This is Mission.org. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. The opportunity to work from home may be taken for granted a bit more within the last year and a half. But for years, Rev.com has been providing opportunities for tens of thousands to work from home. Adri Knoll, the Vice President of Marketing at Rev, came into our studios here in Austin, Texas, to talk about what it means to her to see so many people able to work from home with Rev. Adri's experience as a marketer and marketing leader gives her a unique ability to serve both the Rev customer as well as the tens of thousands of transcriptionists that Rev employs in a massive remote workforce. We work with about 70,000 professionals who some of which don't have great options for how to make money for reasons like maybe they have an elderly parent or their primary caregiver for maybe a child. When I connect with the Revers in our community, it brings me so much joy. You know, I've talked to mothers who have sick children in the hospital who are literally transcribing at the foot of a hospital bed. Being able to put your child first and be able to provide that type of love and compassion and care for your child while also being able to make a living, like those moments make me so proud. Learning how Adri runs an ABM campaign, what skills she uses as a leader, and how she thinks about scaling her team will give you great insight into your own exciting growth and leadership. It was so great to speak with Adri in person about her experience in marketing and how they're growing so fast at Rev. Get inspired by Adri Knoll, the Vice President of Marketing at Rev.com. Up next here on Marketing Trends. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Marketing Trends. This is your host, Jeremy Bergeron, Vice President of Brand Strategy at Mission.org. We have Adri Knoll, VP of Marketing at Rev.com. She's sitting across the table from me right now. 
Adri, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Super excited to have you here. Rev is a brand that I know for me got on my radar when I left. I left Google back in 2016, but I, I just Rev was a brand that kept popping up on my radar. A lot of my friends became devoted to Rev's capabilities, and they were like, "If you don't use Rev, you're dumb. You got to use Rev." So I had been kind of paying attention to Rev as a brand for a while. When I heard that we would have an opportunity to have you in the studio to talk about you, your experience, and of course, Rev, I got nerdy excited because I mean, Rev is just a if you if you if you look up the brand, you'll just see that they're they're just a dope brand. Like they're cool, their culture is cool, what they stand for is cool. And on the growth side of things, I mean, Rev has not slowed down in in recent years, that's for sure. So super excited to have you. Adri, before we get into what you're doing now as the VP of marketing at Rev, I always, for my own curiosity and, and our listeners who are other leaders in the marketing space, where did it start for you? Where did marketing start for you? What was the genesis of it for Adri? Was it a brand, a campaign, a book, a mentor, all the above, none of the above? Where did it start for you? Yeah, so my journey is really interesting and unique. I actually have a technical background. Mm. And I started out in computer science and I had the opportunity to work in a robotics lab when I was still in school at the University of Oklahoma. And in working in the robotics lab, very interesting stuff. We were, uh, it, was, it was a machine learning type robotics lab and we were using meteorological data and we were trying to detect like, what are the precursors to tornado formation? Wow. Like very interesting but I didn't really enjoy the work that I was doing. I didn't like sitting in front of a computer screen just coding all day. So it's not really a good place to be when you're still, you've sunk all this time and money into getting an, an engineering uh, education and you haven't finished and you realize maybe this path is not exactly for me. But during my time, I was able to pivot. I took an internship at National Instruments here in Austin, ah, Texas. Okay. And they have an interesting strategy. They hire exclusively from, or they, or at the time they were hiring exclusively from universities. They were bringing in engineers. They bring them through the support group, but then they let you choose a path into marketing, into sales, into manufacturing, into customer support if you want to stay there. And so I had an opportunity to take my engineering background and apply that in a discipline within marketing, where you kind of marry these two pieces of your marketing to developers or people who are very technical audiences for automated tests. So you need to be able to translate that, you know, their, in their language, the benefit of the solutions that they were taking wow. to market. And so that's where it really clicked for me is like, I can use the technical background and the expertise I have here and be able to apply that to, you know, how do we want to sell that to the market? How can that benefit our customers? And that's really where my heart is. And that was what, that was that moment that you, you talked about. Mm -hmm. Like for me, it clicked. Oh, I want to be close to the customer. I want to be close to the market. I want to understand how what we are bringing to market impacts their life. Wow. So, so what were some of the early things you worked on in the marketing realm there at, at National Instruments? What sort of the campaigns or exposure to marketing you were finally in the world now? What are you doing in those early days? Yeah, they had a lot of continuing education opportunities. And I also got to learn from some of the best marketers. But some of the early work that I was doing was more in the product marketing realm or product management realm. So I was spending a lot of time talking to customers, to prospects, to understanding what their real challenges were, what their day-to-day -day workflow was, and then taking those insights back into the organization and help using that to inform what's the roadmap, what are we delivering, how are we positioning that, what's the messaging, how do we want to price and package those pieces, and also enabling the sales team and equipping them with the right tools that they need to be able to 
close the deal. Yeah. Well, you brought up an interesting thing that I, I always love to know about when it comes to, you know, leading marketing teams and that connection to sales and aligning to sales. Yep. Did you experience this kind of age old battle between sales and marketing? It exists inevitably at almost every brand at some level. What was it like back then? As you come into the marketing world, you see the connection to sales and how important it is. Did you experience the tension then? Or did you feel like at NI, there was a good alignment between marketing and sales? I'm curious about the first experience of marketing and sales for you. Yeah, I think in any organization, there's always a little bit of tension between sales and marketing, even if it's positive friction, because the two parts are incredibly necessary for one another. And you need to have a good partnership with your sales counterpart. They are your frontline resource. They hear what's happening. I mean, they are going to be very intimately aware of what customers are saying, why they're losing opportunities, what customers are talking about or what prospects are talking about, like what is it they care about. And though that should really be one input into your process. You either take those as hypotheses that then you're going to go validate or invalidate as you look to shape your strategy, or they're just an input like kind of in your planning process. So I think a good partnership and that tension is, is very health, healthy because a good sales leader is going to be challenging what you're doing and giving you feedback when things are not working. Like typically I see that someone on the sales floor, they're going to see that maybe leads are poor quality before you see it in the data. That's your leading indicator that there could be a problem and you want to turn your attention to you know, what's going on. You want to start digging in. But at National Instruments, it's no different than any other company. Of course, there was positive friction, if you will, between the two groups. And I've kind of seen that throughout my time as I've moved from one organization to sure. another. At Rev, we have an incredibly healthy relationship between the two groups. I've really found it to be just an exciting environment in which I get to partner very closely with the sales leader that I'm working with. And he's so appreciative of the work and the contribution that marketing is providing to the sales pipeline. So it's been a really good experience there as well. I love that. I had a friend that was at National Instruments and I heard that they have this thing where you can get exposed to all these different departments and you can kind of choose a path. And I think that's super valuable uh, from a brand perspective. It clearly set you up to get into a world that you just grab with both hands. Where did you start to kind of evolve into marketing leader versus marketer? Because that's two very different things, as you know, leading a team and the budget and, and having a lot more responsibility versus being kind of a tactician and, and someone who's executing was that in kind of an easy switch for you to kind of go from lead, leading a team to from a marketer to a team? What was that like for you? Yeah, I think this is one of the most difficult transitions for anyone in their career, going from doer to leader. Mm -hmm. There are natural born leaders, right? People who even in an individual contributor role, like people will flock to as, as a leader, whether you have reporting lines or not. Even if that's the case, making that transition is always challenging because you have to switch from knowing how to do it and getting your hands dirty and rolling up your sleeves to inspiring other people to do it. And I've found one of the most difficult things in that transition is letting go and letting people have the autonomy and the flexibility to do it their way, because there's no one singular path on how you achieve something. And so giving people the freedom, the flexibility, don't starve creativity, but generally have an alignment of where you want to go, maybe not necessarily how you want to get there, right? And that's where you can as, as you step from tactician, as you said, into a leadership role, you inspire people towards a common objective and less about the details of how you're going to achieve that. Mm. Then where the kind of rubber meets the road is tying back to, okay, the measurement, right? Like if you're achieving the goals and you're achieving the results, it's all good. 
But if you're not, that's where you can hold each other accountable of you know what's working and what's not. Did you set your sights on VP, CMO? Like you, was it in the NI days where you were like, okay, I'm, I see the path. Like I want to lead marketing at a, at a big, big company and, and grow a brand. Or did that interest kind of slowly evolve over time for you? I would say it slowly evolved over time. Product marketing is the bulk of where my background is. I have a little bit of exposure though at National Instruments. You know, I was at National Instruments a while ago. And at that point in time, product marketing and product management, there wasn't really a distinction in the industry. Mm. It's a pretty evolving like discipline. And so I kind of got to see a little bit of both. And at that point in time, I didn't know, like maybe I would want to pursue more of the product management, you know, responsibility in that career path. But I just slowly started to gravitate more towards product marketing. You start to get involved. I'm very curious. And I got involved with a lot of the other marketing partners that I had on the team, got exposure to different parts of the marketing organization, how all the pieces fit together for a good go-to-market strategy, because strategy and execution, like they have to fit together very neatly or doesn't really work. Like the, the whole thing is all for naught. And so being, you know, curious and getting involved more on that side just really got me more excited about expanding scope within the marketing space. Wow. What stage was Rev at when you were looking kind of from the outside and what attracted you to Rev as, as an opportunity to join that company? Yeah, Rev is really unique. They're, they've got some of the best technology on the market. Their automatic speech recognition engine, you know, it's AI-based they have one of the best engines on the market for speech recognition. For me, having a background where I was, you know, working in computer science, I have kind of an interest in machine learning, like that was very attractive to me. But then they also balance that with this incredible mission that is unlike anything I've ever seen in a company. So they founded their business to create work from home opportunities. So for those that don't know, Rev, we specialize in speech-to-text transformation. And so the way that we do that is ASR technology and humans. And the blend of those two, of being able to take video and audio content and then translate that into the spoken word to really like unlock the potential of what the, the spoken word has, that's what we do. And we, we deliver things like transcripts, whether it's for searchability or discoverability of content in video form, or whether it's captions for the deaf community or those that are hard of hearing or those that, you know, are watching content without the sound on or subtitles, whether you're, you know, you're watching a film and you don't understand the language that the film is produced in and you want to put subtitles on. That's what we ultimately deliver for, for our audience. So the, the innovative aspect of it, like you, you saw the tech part of you saw this, like, okay, this is a leader in the space. Like I see where they're headed. You were already, you know, kind of nerding out about the potential there. And then to come on and be, did you join as, as head of, did you join a VP of marketing or when you first joined? So I joined to really own the B2B space. Ah, and okay. so Rev was in this interesting place where they had been serving a pay-as-you-go or a self-serve audience that makes up the bulk of kind of their customer base. And they were looking to expand into the mid-market and enterprise space. And so I came in to help establish the strategy from the marketing side on how we would expand into the mid-market space and slowly started to stand up campaigns and test and measure and see what was working and what wasn't working. Um, so that's how I entered into the organization. And then I, in March of 2020, crazy time. Crazy time in the world, yep. <laughs> crazy time. I actually took over responsibility for the entire marketing team. Okay. So when I entered the organization, it was a combination of growth marketing and then B2B marketing, and we, we folded those two pieces in. Yeah, because it seems like you... We talked a little bit about this earlier, just in terms of 
you as the marketing leader, you sit at this intersection of like product marketing and finance and growth and communications. And I mean, every function within the business, like you, you have to align with all of them. And with your kind of product marketing background and, and love there, is it difficult for you to kind of let that go a bit because you have all these other stakeholders and you have to align in other ways Whereas it'd probably be easier for you to hang out in the product marketing world and, and be leading that strategy. There's also other things you're doing too now. So is that difficult? Is that a challenge for you? Or do you feel like, no, you're learning, you learned to let that go as well. And now you can be that kind of nimble marketing leader that, you know, can support the team across all the functions. Yeah. I uh, try to hire people who are better than me at it. I think it's a good strategy. Uh, you have a lot of trust and confidence when you can bring someone in that, you know, even though you know you can manage that discipline and, and physically do the work yourself, you bring someone in who's better at it than you, and you're going to have a lot of trust and confidence in giving them, you know, completely releasing the reins. So that's generally my strategy. Okay. Uh, you know, when hiring anyone is find someone who's much better than you are at that specific area. And I try to be pretty honest with myself on where I have strengths and where I have weaknesses. I'm incredibly analytical. And, you know, my brain is hardwired to think analytically about problem solving that doesn't leave a lot of space for creativity. Or, you know, maybe that's not my strongest suit. And so I try to fill for those gaps mm. when bringing people in and really surround myself with good partners um, who can, you know, compensate for where I have weaknesses as a leader and, and treat them truly as partners, as thought partners in executing against the strategy. In addition to hiring really smart people, building a high-performance team. What yep. kind of goes into your process there? Because I make this judgment that because of all this amazing growth Rev has had, you've got talent, you've got amazing people. That's not always easy to do and yeah. keep doing. Yeah. What else besides hiring smart people could you share maybe in a kind of your approach to bringing on really, really great people yep. and building a high-performing team? Yeah, so I love this question. And this has been an incredible learning opportunity for me to do this during a pandemic. Um, so I thrive off of in-person interactions. I, I'm such an extrovert. I love being with people. And so for me, moving into an environment from where I was working from home and trying to lead and inspire a team and to grow very rapidly. I mean, just to give you context, Rev was south of 200 employees when I joined in November of 2019. We're now at about 350. So we've grown very quickly. And it's, it's challenging to hire, especially in this climate. I've never seen the market quite like this. There's a lot of musical chairs happening in yes. the industry where a lot of people are moving around. Yep. And the reality is good talent, great talent, they're not going to come to you. You got to go find them. And so my strategy is you can't sit back and wait for great talent to come to you. You really need to go find great talent. You need to be actively recruiting great talent. And your job doesn't stop once they join the company. Because as we've seen with a lot of the movement in the market today, people will move around. And a lot of people are moving around today. And so my job to recruit really extends beyond their first start date. And I'm always trying to set people up for success and understand what the blockers are or what the barriers are for their success so that we can help to unclear those and, and really be honest and open with people along the way around what's working and what's not. So that's like my general strategy on just hiring great talent. Mm. But, you know, there's a separate question around how do you mature a marketing team over time, which if you look at the dynamics of the way that the marketing team was structured when I joined versus the way that we're structured today, it's much different. We had one single market that we were trying to pursue prior to me starting. Now we have multiple markets that we're going after market segments. The marketing responsibilities are going to shift around. And we generally take a test, test everything that we can. 
learn quickly, fail quickly, fail cheaply, and for the things that work, invest in them. And so when you have that type of mindset, you get kind of these like uh, pretty scrappy marketers that are willing to tackle new challenges and test new channels or test new tactics. One of those for us is, you know, affiliate influencer marketing as an example. Great, we're seeing success here. Now let's expand upon it. In those moments, you typically want to bring in outside expertise to really own that discipline and that function. And something weird happens when you do this. Like when you start to bring in people to take parts of someone's previous role, people get really nervous. It's an emotional thing. It's a natural emotional reaction. And Molly Graham actually describes this really well. So Molly Graham has been at companies like Facebook, Google. She scaled teams very, very quickly and rapidly. She's also worked at Quip and with multiple CEOs to help them scale in high growth environments. And she talks about this concept, this like emotional roller coaster that people go during these transition periods as she uses a metaphor of uh, building a Lego tower and then giving away your Lego tower, which mm. I think is so relevant. You have all these smart marketers that can jump in and they can tackle a challenge and they, they build up their Lego tower and they make it successful. And then they have to hand their Legos to the next person coming in. And it can be really nerve wracking. What if someone breaks the Lego tower? What if they <laughs> build it back up in the wrong way? Or maybe they don't expand upon it in the right way. And I've found her, you know, her description of this to be really relevant and taken her advice to talk about it, talk openly about their feel, about the feelings that people are having during this transition and try to find new challenges and opportunities for people to take on. Because if you can find interesting things for someone to continue to learn and grow and take on a new challenge, they're going to be tossing their Legos over the wall. And, you know, we all kind of win, right? Where now we have the right specialization we're learning new things about, you know, things we hadn't tested in the in the past and we're growing as a marketing team. So that's generally how I've approached it and I think it's worked pretty well. How do you navigate the this idea of you said okay, someone owning a discipline, hiring someone or bringing someone in to own that discipline versus hiring an agency or outsourcing that? What is your kind of take on in-house versus let's just go find an agency or find a partner that's going to be really good at that thing? Yeah. There's a lot of agencies out there and it just depends on how critical it is to your success. So if you're doing things like paid advertising and you're spending a significant amount of money, maybe you want an agency to expand on a piece of that strategy, but owning the strategy itself is probably not something you want to outsource to an agency, in my opinion, if it's very core to your marketing mix and your strategy. You need good oversight if you're working with an agency because they're not really folded into your brand and your business. They're working with multiple clients. It's easy to miss things. And so agencies have a place. Uh, I think they fit into your larger strategy if you want to expand and like increase capacity in, in some area. But, you know, using them for everything is probably not a great long-term strategy. What does the team marketing team structure look like now? How is it, how is it set up? Yeah. So we have leadership and oversight over kind of two segment areas. We've got our mid-market and enterprise business. We also have our pay-as-you-go or self-serve business, as we call it. Those are kind of um, our demand engines. And a lot of our performance marketing lives within each of those groups. Then we've got product marketing, content and SEO, creative and web are kind of the primary groups that we have within the marketing team. And so the way that we all organize is what's the financial targets that we want to achieve? in what segment, and then we use OKRs on a quarterly basis to kind of align and set objectives and key results so that mm -hmm. we can see cross-departmental dependencies and how we all kind of function together to be able to achieve the results. OKRs are pretty like org organization-wide, everyone's 
losing those and, and relying on those. Yeah, that's cool. We did that a lot at Google as well. And I feel like sometimes aligning on OKRs can be interesting, right? Of like how do you, how people are coming up with the OKR mm -hmm. and then how, and then what about the strategy to get to that, right? Yeah. And then supporting multiple teams across that OKR finish line, yeah. you know, um, which I, I think is interesting. What marketing channels seem to perform best for you at a high level? Are there any that you're, that you love using, maybe some that you've determined to cut off, but I know you said there's different buckets of marketing, but I guess high level, are there some channels that perform best for you? Yeah, direct re response marketing is a big piece okay. of what we do, just given kind of the makeup of our, our customer base today. Uh, but we're rapidly expanding our strategy where now we're doing more account-based marketing. Okay. Um, we're doing, you know, as you move up market, the buying cycle becomes much more complicated. There's multiple people involved. They're in different places, like how you reach them and influence them changes. And so we're starting to test, you know, what are the watering holes? How can we reach and influence audiences in, in the places where they are? And how can we speak to them in their languages? And that's part of our multi-channel campaign strategy within kind of our mid-market enterprise function. We're constantly testing and evaluating what works for us. We we tested TikTok and Snapchat this, this last year. Yeah. Uh, how was that? Didn't go well. I mean, but that's great. Actually, not going well is great to know that we tested it, didn't perform to our expectations. We didn't generate, you know, new customers as a result of the advertising we were doing there. Let's abandon that for now. But, you know, we'll go back and visit it, revisit it because consumer expectations, B2B sales cycle, you know, all of those things are constantly evolving. Like marketing is never settled. You're never done in right, marketing. Right. Consumer behaviors are always changing. And so you always want to go back and retest maybe or test different variations. So, you know, we, we measure with each of those tests that we're running of, are we getting people to respond? Are we getting them to the next action, whether that's actually converting into a paying customer or taking the next step with us in their journey? Um, and when new channels work, we expand them. When they don't, we, you know, abandon them. So those are just a couple of examples of, you know, channels that we've tested. Also connected TV is one that mm. we tested more for. That's a big one. For, for brand marketing, trying to get people to respond to TV ad advertisements. So constantly just exploring new outlets. When do you abandon uh, a campaign, a channel? Like how long do you let it go before you abandon it? We typically set the time frame when we're running any test up front. Like okay. how long do we want this to run to get meaningful results? You know, in extreme circumstances though, where we're seeing there are negative, uh, negative results or we're seeing some unintended consequence, we'll abandon a test or a campaign. Um, but for the most part, you know, we try to set those bounds up front. What is one of your favorite rev marketing campaigns to date and why? Yeah. So we had a really cool multi-channel campaign that we ran. I think it was last year and it was called Content Quest. So media and entertainment is a big segment for us. Uh, also marketing is a big segment for us. And so we wanted to really engage with that audience and cut through the noise. Um, so we embraced the 8-bit video game experience. Think like Oregon Trail, Mike. Yes. And we put together this cool, just like fun, witty, you know, choose your own adventure experience. And we deployed that to a segment of the media and entertainment space. The thing that was really cool about this campaign is not only was it intended to entertain and delight and get people familiar with the red brand and get them to take the next step, we were also asking them through the journey to self-identify in a really fun way, though. Mm. So we got to learn a lot about the audience segment that was engaging with us, about their unique challenges, about how they, they self-identify. We got, to, you know, we were enriching their profile and their data set as they were kind of traversing that journey with us. And so for us, that's that's gold. When we know more about a, pro a prospect, 
we can more intelligently market to them. We can funnel them into the right nurture streams. We can deliver tailored content and more personalized experience. And so that was just a really great way to entertain, but also enrich our data set so that we could do something with that information later. I love that. Um, and I'm sure there's been a lot of campaigns that have been working well there because, again, Rev continues to crush it. Um, <laughs> in terms of, like, if you reflect on the past, you know, two years, and you've been there, oh, just over two years now, right? Just about it, two Just about years, two years, yeah. right? So, and, you know, marketing leaders around the world will know that any time over, you know, 45 to 60 days is, like, is a long time for a CMO if you've been there. So if you've been there two years, it tells me a lot about how you lead, tells me a lot about the results you're generating. Um, and that's and that's amazing. If you just reflect over the past two years, yeah. what has been your like best day there? And then also what's been your most challenging? Yeah. It's hard to pinpoint like a single best day or most challenging day. I'll talk about it from the professional and then also the personal lens. So professionally, some of my best moments at Rev, you know, I talked a little bit about why I joined the company and really just believing in the mission that they have. So with their, they call, they call them Revers, that's their freelance community, the professionals that are transcribing and captioning, you know, video and audio content into transcripts or captions or subtitles. And uh, we work with about 70,000 professionals who, some of which don't have great options for how to make money. For reasons like maybe they have an elderly um, parent or they're, you know, they're a primary caregiver for maybe a child. Like, uh, and then we have the other extreme where it's like, look, I don't want to have roots. I want to just travel the world. I need to make a little bit of cash. And when I connect with the Revers in our community, it brings me so much joy. And I'm reminded of like that single moment when I decided I'm going to join Rev because of the mission that the company stands for and like what we're doing here. It's just a really cool thing. You know, I've talked to mothers who have sick children in the hospital who are literally transcribing at the foot of a hospital bed. Wow. Like being able to put your child first and be able to provide that type of, you know, love and compassion and care for your child while also being able to make a living. Like for me, that hits really close to home because I've got two young children. So those moments make me so proud. And like if I'm having a down day, like just schedule a call <laughs> with the rubber and, you know, really just listen and understand um, how Rev is impacting their life because we're, we're doing something really magical at Rev. So for me, those moments are like just an incredible kind of professional milestones. And then personally, you know, a mix of good and bad here. Working from home has presented a lot of challenges. It's <laughs> yeah. like organized chaos at home. I have two young children at home. They're often like popping into my office and showing up on Zoom calls. And at first I was very anxious about that. It gave me a lot of anxiety and, you know, I felt like I would come off as, I don't know, like a hot mess, basically, um, because I used to have clear separation of mom life and professional life. I have a commute where I actually got to get into the mode, right, either to work or from work, and I don't have that now. And that was a difficult adjustment, um, but I wouldn't say it was, it's necessarily bad. It's been, it's been really rewarding, um, and I've got to see a lot more of my children uh, it's also made me more human, I think, like those moments where it's like, you know, massive interruptions in a Zoom meeting, like just kind of makes us all human and I've come to embrace those. So I love that. Do you have a favorite failure, even even if before Rev, but just like a favorite failure that maybe at the time seemed like it wasn't going to set you up for success, but then maybe later on did? Yeah, I mean, I guess just bringing things to market, you, you always are going to get something wrong. 
Uh, you're going to position it wrong. You're going to package it wrong. You're going to price it wrong. That's kind of the point. You you introduce things in a very safe way. You have a hypothesis. You want to validate or invalidate those hypotheses. And so I've kind of taken that as a general rule of thumb and like how I approach bringing new solutions to market is you're going to have failures. You know, failures are really just like you're either disproving or proving a hypothesis that you have as you introduce something to the market. You want to just learn quickly and make adjustments as you go. Mm. So you kind of view, yeah, you kind of, you view failures as part of the, it's like, this is a, this is a, it can be an ingredient in this whole, this whole thing. Yeah, it's I like think you failures don't look are at, good. Yeah. For every 10 tests you run, nine are going to fail, yeah. but there's going to be one that's right. going to be really interesting and you're going to want to expand upon it. So what is your approach to marketing a new product launch? Like, uh, like one that's the rev meeting assistant for zoom, like kind of what goes into that high level? What are the steps kind of involved in that rollout? What do you look for as a leader? What channels did you hit first? things like that. So with any launch, it really, you start all the way at the time frame of what's the problem that you're trying to solve, right? And my philosophy is to listen to the market. Like you should be talking to your customers. You should be talking to your prospects. You should be talking to people that want to do business with you. You should also be talking to people who don't want to do business with you. Like you learn a lot when you go sit down with someone that has said, you know what? I don't want to work with Rev. Like those, mo or any company for that matter, you learn a lot in that moment. Why? Why is it that they chose to either go to a competitor or they chose to not work with you as a brand? And through that research and having that market research mentality, you learn about pain points. You learn about their, you know, their journey. How can you make their life simpler? Like what are the challenges you want to solve? And with Rev Meeting Assistant, as an example, that is solving a very specific use case of people interacting on Zoom. We need to have some type of transcript that's capturing the information that's being discussed. And then you can take it after the fact. So really knowing the pain point of, you know, it's hard to engage sometimes in, in meeting format, or it's hard to take notes while you're listening, right? And being able to capture that information separately so then you can act on it later. So really understanding the use case and then knowing how to position it, knowing how to message it, thinking about the monetization path of like, what does that do for the business? Is it a user acquisition tactic? Okay, so then how are we going to nurture and mature that audience over time to maybe use other services with us? So always thinking about the strategy for how does it ultimately tie back to revenue for the business is kind of how I think about the problem. And then every decision you make from there on out around the full go-to-market strategy, it ties back to either the journey that you're trying to create for them, how you're trying to position and message it, and how you're trying to reach them. If you're listening to your customers and you know where they are and how to reach them, that's going to set your strategy for, you know, your question around which channels do you deploy? Like, find out where they are. Where do they, who do they talk to? Where are they seeking to find information? Like, on a Sunday morning, they sit down, what do they do? Do they open up social media or do they go to a news outlet? Like, knowing those things matters because it's going to change your marketing strategy on how to in influence that audience. I love it. Listen, it's like, the, that's the, the first step. That also seems to come up a lot when I interview marketing leaders when I ask them like what skill they've cultivated most, it's like, listen. And of course it applies to marketing. And of course it applies to leading a team. Yep. And I'm curious about your connection to the CEO and how important that relationship is. And I know that there has to be a lot of trust there between the CEO and the head of marketing at any brand. When it seems like when that's not there, you'll see a lot of turnover in the CMO role and you'll see CMOs you know, losing, losing ground and going different places. Talk about the connection you have with the CEO of Rev and kind of how that's evolved over time. Because again, my judgment is, wow, they've they've got trust, they've got rapport. Uh, and I'm just curious kind of your, your thoughts on that, like how important that is and how you view that relationship. Yeah. 
uh, my relationship with our CEO is very good. And he's a very compassionate leader. I mean, if you look at just the mission of why the company Clearly, was established, yeah, yeah. he cares a lot about people. And I love that type of leader, leadership characteristic. Um, and, and I just enjoy working for that type of person. So our relationship is very strong. Uh, that doesn't mean that we don't, you know, we don't have disagreements and we don't, um, you know, want to come to the table with data to really debate, like, what's the right strategy or what's the right way to move forward. And I also really appreciate that about the Rev culture in general is everyone is very respectful and we can have conflict and we can resolve conflict, but it's in a very respectful way. And I love that we can just be honest with ourselves about what's working and what's not. And it has, it's nothing personal, right? We're right. just trying to make the business better. We're trying to make the brand better. And so that's really core to my relationship with the CEO, but also a lot of the other leaders within the organization. Trust has to be there. And I think it's also an indicator of how well Rev is doing. I mean, look, there's a lot of ingredients inside the team that have to be do that have to go well for for the the success we're seeing with the brand. And so it definitely starts with the leadership team. It goes all the way and infiltrates everyone that works with you with the brand. Can you tell us a little bit about your marketing tech stack and like what tools you found to be the most useful? Yeah. So lately a couple of the tools that we've been incorporating have really been around creating a good data pipeline. So data is so incredibly important. Data is gold. Data yeah. is gold. Yeah. And so we've started to introduce, you know, BI tooling. We're using Looker now to access more insights about our customers. Segment is another tool that we've introduced to really get a single view of the customer, which has been so helpful in really translating and mapping data to different uh, places that we need it, but also for identifying behavioral or company characteristics of like a very specific segment that we want to market to, and then pulling that segment into our marketing activities to really tailor the message. So those are a couple of examples of like recent things that we've folded into our stack. It's an it's an ongoing process, right? Yeah. We're also introducing lead scoring model into the marketing fold um, to better, you know, mature our lead scoring process and how we identify good leads to kind of grow with the business. So there's a lot of new things that we're focused on now, but it's really all centered around data. There was an infograph I saw on marketing tech stack. I mean, like the marketing tech stack, it like branches and trails. There's so, so much, so many tools. And I mean, we're evaluating some of the BI stuff now as a brand. And there's, I mean, there's so much. And there's things I know as a marketing leader in an organization, I think like some of these are important. We don't want to miss them. And I could spend all day evaluating what we should or shouldn't be doing how do you navigate that? Because you have to be innovative. You have to be using the best. And you could also get kind of drowned in that too, of like, yeah. wait a second, how about this new whiz bang thing that tells you this? And the, how do you navigate that as a leader? Yeah, you're so right. It's super noisy. There's a lot of marketing technology out there and picking the right tool is really important. So the way that we approach this is knowing the problem that you're trying to solve and when you want to solve that problem. Mm. Um, and, and do you want to build or do you want to buy something? So in some instances, it makes more sense to stand up something that's a little primitive in nature just to get things going because the speed at which you can do it might be faster than integrating a tool, right? And then you look at the other end of the spectrum, like very buzzworthy, like AI-based marketing tech. I think the future is in AI technology and bringing that into the marketing technology stack. However, you need to have good data and your models that you're building are going to be relying on data. And so if your data is bad, you're just creating intelligence on top of bad data, which is not a good position to be in. And so you have to really think about the right timing on when to introduce those components into your marketing tech stack. Um, so we're constantly swapping, you know, 
in or out technology that's right for where we are in our evolution. When it comes to ABM, I'm curious, you said there's, that's a, a part of the kind of, you know, the B2B focus there. What are some of the things that you're paying attention to from an ABM strategy perspective, things that you're seeing work well, um, maybe even things you're testing in the ABM? Because that's a big, in the world that we're in, it, it comes up a lot. And we also see lots of brands talking about ABM differently, and we, we see them doing things differently with ABM. And so... It's a little bit of a buzzword that I, I think is getting thrown around a lot. I think it's valuable. It's a it's a core part of what we do as well. But what are kind of some of the things you're you're seeing and doing in the in kind of the ABM world there at Rev? Yeah, I think the most important thing with account based marketing is in how you structure the accounts that you want to go after. Like how do you how do you literally define what is a segment, what is an account, who are the customers, who do you want to reach, like what are the contacts within each of those accounts, who goes into your tier one bucket, and then who's kind of your you know catch all for you know, you're one, you want your one-to-one for your tier one accounts and then your one-to-many uh, relationship at the, at the bottom, right? And being able to map clearly who falls into which bucket is important. And then your strategy, you want your, your tier one accounts to receive more of a personalized experience, but you don't want to overdo it, right? If you're going so extreme that it feels too forced, people are going to reject the marketing material. And so finding that right balance of how do you reach someone? How do you tie personally to that individual and get them interested is tough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd say, I don't know that we've exactly cracked it. I think it's something that we're still exploring and trying to figure out how to do it better. But yeah, I mean, you're totally right. Like account-based marketing, there's definitely a place for it, but it's it's really about finding the right balance. Are you guys doing anything with direct mail? Not really okay. right now. I do think it has a place, but we yeah. haven't really done a lot with it curious about it more and more we we, we had uh, a gentleman on this this actually another show i host he's direct mail automation ceo and really awesome guy lives here in austin and it kind of got me looking down that trail a bit and seeing some of the interesting things brands are doing with direct mail automation and how they're playing in that space and the data that's there as well that's available for people to really be super highly targeted and focused so yep. Rev has never gone down that path yet or in, or in the past a little bit or just never really gone down it. We've entertained it, but we haven't done, we haven't invested heavily here. That's, you know, okay. we tend to stick in the space of, look, our product is good. And if we can get people into the product and using it, we we feel confident that we can grow with them in a way that works mutually. It's mutually mm-hmm. beneficial, mm-hmm. right? For the company as, as they grow and they expand. And so- Oftentimes when we're having that one-on-one touch point with an individual, we want to put them in the product and then let the product-led growth strategy work for us. So we will do tactics kind of in that realm of like, how can we start to expose them to the value and what the product can deliver for them and like show, not tell? People are very smart. They can they can see through a lot of the noise and oftentimes people just want to, they want to see it and they want to feel it. How much have you doubled down on customer experience in the past couple years as there so much has shifted, obviously? I don't know what stage we're at in this pandemic, endemic, postdemic, but we know we're in this really interesting shift as a, as a, as a world and lots of brands have had to pivot. Um, and I, I'm curious about the customer experience from Rev's perspective. Like, have you done things to double down on that in the last couple of years differently? What have you noticed doubling down if you have? Um, kind of what, what goes into the customer experience now that we're in this kind of new world that we're living in now. Yeah. You know, customer experience is interesting from Rev's point of view because we think about it really in two different lenses. There's customer experience and there's Rever experience. And both are equally as important to us as a company. Um, both parts have to work together. And so 
we're always thinking about the experience from the customer point of view, customer satisfaction. Uh, how can we make the experience better? How can we make the journey more intentional and keep people satisfied throughout that journey and coming back? Uh, but also on Rever, with the Rever community, like how do we create a better experience? How can we make them the team more productive there? Like what are the things that we can do to make the life of a Rever easier? Yeah, and you said 70,000 that's right. Plus freelancers, revers, is that revers? 70,000 mm -hmm. revers yeah. and, and growing out there in the world. And I, and there's such a like real, there's a real like loyalty from the revers I've found. Like they, I mean, they love Rev. And they, I mean, you see this, we had Evernote on a couple weeks ago, and that's another community that you see the just the 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 diehard ambassadors they have. Rev is the same way. Like revers, they love Rev. I love how you split those two things up of like, we we have revers and we have customers and we wanna make sure we are listening to both of them and meeting both of them. Um, and I, I love how you didn't just lump them all together and you were carefully curating these as two separate things that are equally important. Has that always been the case of like this, that these are two different things or was that more of a, a decision made along the, along the way in Rev where, hey, we have two separate pools of community here that we are serving. Yeah, it's always been very intentional. Okay. Like when we even think about product innovation, it's two separate groups. Okay. They are very different audience segments and you need to really understand their needs because what our customers need is, is very different than what a Rever would need. Hmm. What about predictable growth now in terms of being a marketing leader at Rev, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's true. Rev is blowing up. They're, they're huge. They're, they're not slowing down. And, you know, you have stakeholders, you've, you, you're accountable to the marketing, mm -hmm. you, you oversee the marketing strategy. There's a lot of, a lot of various things there. Are you, are you feel like you're able to predict growth pretty accurately now? Predicting growth is challenging in a pandemic. Right. <laughs> you know, that's the only reason I hesitate is that that is where it gets challenging, right? Like what are the unknowns around what this has done and, and how it's changed, you know, the the trends of, of the space. So we're trying to stay in front of those things of what changes now as a result of the pandemic having taken place and predicting growth as a piece of that. Like what are the things that we should be proactively doing to try to accelerate growth as the world resumes normalcy. But for the most part, you know, we look at a combination of trends in our existing growth segments. Like how, how are we trending? How can we accelerate? And then what are the new bets that we're going to place? Like how do we start to place new bets to accelerate growth on top of what we're, we're already doing? Okay. Okay. What are you doing now to, I mean, like, are you, are you going to other marketing leaders that are, maybe they're at the same size company, maybe they're larger or smaller for inspiration and for, you know, best practices. Do you find yourself connecting with other marketing leaders across industries to kind of stay sharp and see what they're doing? Or are you more, hey, look, we're we're in high growth phase and it's hard to kind of stop in that and pick my head up and talk to anyone? What's that like for you? I definitely feel like that at moments <laughs> where I'm like, okay, no, I'm just heads down and we we're, we just need to stay focused on what we're doing here. But I think that that's a bad place to stay for any one for any long period of time. And so I try to stay pretty connected with a network of people that I respect personally can, you know, bounce ideas off of, can talk about, you know, how they're tackling either similar challenges or present them with challenges that I have and get their ideas. I'm part of a CMO group as well, where yeah. I get to collaborate with people who are kind of in a, you know, a removed network, if you will, sure, but like sure. still great ideas can, can be found there. So that's kind of how I stay connected within my network. And then where do I get sources of inspiration 
there's no like one single source for me. I'll jump in and out of like podcasts or leadership books or learning about like new marketing, you know, trends that are happening in the space. Um, I also am just really curious and I like to consume marketing like mm. out in the wild okay. and, and literally anywhere. Like okay. I love commercials. I'll subscribe to probably any email marketing list. Like if you get my email, I'm, I'm not going to unsubscribe. I have like 63,000 unready emails <laughs> in my inbox. Um, there's like two types of people in this world. There's people who can't have notifications on their phone and then right. there's me. Like right. I love them. It's like a badge of honor. <laughs> uh, and you know, I am curious, so I don't necessarily engage with everything. Obviously, I have a lot of unread emails. Yeah. Just as an example, I'm using this as an example tactic here. But every once in a while, something will, will catch my attention. And I'll engage with it. I'll learn something. I'll see how a brand is tying something personally back to me. What are they doing to try to, like, pull in my heartstrings or catch my attention? Or what type of, you know, witty thing are they saying to try to get me to engage? And I, I just find that a really good way to stay sharp and just constantly be looking at what's happening. And then, you know, how are you being retargeted? Like, how are people tying back to you? That type of content in the wild, I learn a lot from. Do you just find yourself, like, never being satisfied with the speed and, like, want to go faster? And, want, like, how do you because you're growing fast and you're also a marketer and you're probably up thinking about things like, how do we get there faster? How do we go there fast? Yeah. How do you balance that? Speed is tough. And mm. the thing that I've found the most difficult is balancing speed at which you accelerate growth and operational excellence. It's not hard to go fast. It's hard to go fast and not break things. And so that is where we've found probably the biggest challenge is how can we continue to accelerate growth, but at the same time, establish a foundation that is going to scale. And so with marketing, that's incredibly important because you need the right operational pieces. Like it is acceptable for some period of time to do things manually, but you can't stay there. You have to be operate. You have to put operational pieces in place so that you can scale. So finding the right balance is very challenging. Um, it's something that I feel and think about every day. How do we move faster, but not break everything? Wow. So you're a mom yeah, and a, and a VP of marketing. How look, so we have, look, we have kids at home too, and we're, you know, we have a business and, and it's this interesting, you know, balance of the two things. Are you, are you the kind of marketing leader mom that can turn it off and be a mom when you're at home with the kids? Or are you also kind of still thinking about growth and thinking about what's happening at Rev and, and the things coming down the pipeline? How do you, how do you navigate that being a mom and a VP of a really fast growing brand? It was a little bit easier to turn it off when I had a longer commute. My commute is has gone from about an hour to now two seconds. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> so, and my kids are at home with us as well during the day. And so turning that off is challenging for me, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah. But even when I was able to more so compartmentalize the two pieces, you know, working versus, you know, at home version of me, I still never really turn my brain off. I'm always thinking about, you know, that one thing that we could do better or where we could go faster. So it's kind of hard to turn it off. And then even when I try to unwind, you know, maybe it's like mindless scrolling on social or you're watching some type of TV, I find myself in the zone of like, ooh, look at that interesting thing that they're doing there. Or like, mm. that's super cool. Like, I would love to pull something like that and I'll take screenshots and, you know, send it off to the team. Like, this caught my idea. You know, this caught my attention. Like, could we do something here? So. What does it look like for Adri to just think? Like, what do you, do you go, have, do you go somewhere? Do you listen to rap music? Do you run outside? Like, 
What's it? Do you have a thing that you do where you just need, okay, I need to think. Uh, for me, it's mountain biking. Mountain biking. I love mountain biking. Okay. I will just get on a trail and okay. my mind just kind of wanders because you're kind of paying attention to what you're doing on the trail because you don't want to get hurt. Um, so right, your brain important. is like half right. occupied, but right. then, you know, you get like some really cool thinking and you just let your brain wander. So that is what I do to kind of, un, you know, to unwind, cool. but to also think. I love that. Okay, awesome. All right, we got about four minutes left. I want to get into the lightning round and we can and we can wrap. This has been awesome. Let's get into the lightning round and to thank our amazing sponsor, Salesforce. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. First question for Adrienne Knoll, okay. VP of Marketing, Rev.com. The lights just got lower. <laughs> Your Twitter bio says you're a cycling enthusiast. Any other kind of riding or mountain biking is the go-to? Mountain biking is the go-to. Okay. I've done other cycling, though. It's actually how my husband and I met was ah, racing triathlons. Okay. So. Did you beat him in the first? No. Okay. <laughs> Did you compete with him? In the, okay. He's very good. <laughs> okay. Nice. Um, next question. Where is, and this is a good town to ask this, but where is one of your favorite, uh, best favorite rides? I go to Brushy Creek a lot. Okay. But Walnut. Or I'll go to Suburban Ninja, which is behind like Redhorn Coffee. So, okay. yeah. What is your favorite bike race to watch or participate in? I love the Tour de France. I'm That's a good one. one of these people that will sit and watch like six hours of cycling on wow. TV and just love it. Okay. Your husband, I'm assuming, is yeah. the same. Okay. What bike do you want to get next? Well, I just got a new bike. I got, I got a nice get? I got a transition. Okay. And I love it. So, so I'm, I'm settled with, okay, right now. Okay. What's your favorite breakfast taco in Austin? Well, Migas is my favorite type of breakfast okay. taco. Okay, okay. I love Torchies. Okay, uh, I was going to ask if you were Torchies or a Taco Deli. So Torchies is your go-to. Torchies, okay. yeah. More so for convenience, though, from okay. where I am. Because they're close. Yeah. Shout out to Torchies. I love you, Torchies. And Taco <laughs> Deli. I battle. I feel like depending on the day, that's my one, two, my top one and two. Yeah, bring, me, bring one out towards me and it'll be good. I might change my mind. You've been an advocate of work-life balance. It's There's articles written about that. You've talked about really the importance of that for you. Where did that come from for you? And then are there any other kind of injustices you want to tackle next? Yeah. So for me as a mom, um, being able to take time off is incredibly important. And that those first few months were so important for me to bond, especially with my first child who ended up needing surgery at three months old. So just being able to focus on that and not worry about coming back to work so soon um, you know, while I was at Bizarre Voice, I had the opportunity to take 16 weeks off. And like, it was just so important. Rev offers similar benefits to, you know, parents that are taking time off with their children. And so, yeah, for me, it's always something I look for in a company. And it's something I encourage employees, like take advantage of that because you need that time. Yeah, that's like a non-negotiable for yeah. you. I, lo I love that. If you weren't in marketing, what would you be doing? I would have a doggy daycare on a ranch like on a bunch of land. I know no hesitation. Like I've thought <laughs> about thought, it. You've thought about this for sure. I love it. <laughs> My husband and I like to build up these like fictitious businesses and then tear them apart. So like doggy daycare for sure. Okay. I love it. On a ranch. On a ranch with a lot of land and a doggy swimming pool. Oh my gosh. I love that. <laughs> Best advice for a first time VP of marketing. Don't be afraid to take risks. I'd say that's the best advice that I can give. I love that one. Finish this sentence. When I want to feel more joy, I blank. I connect with my kids. I love that one. I mean, they just have unconditional love. I love I love everything about them. I'm the same with that. 
saying, kids, give me time with the kiddos and I'm good. Finish this sentence. I would bless the whole world with blank. A full-time subscription to Rev.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I would bless the whole world with, I don't know, love? Yeah. Like, can we just love each other? Right? Come on. More of that. Uh, finish this sentence. I feel at home when blank. When I can be the silliest version of myself. Like, just be my, my authentic self. So. A time when you made a powerful choice was blank. I think it's just the moments and changing changing jobs. Those are things that I don't take lightly. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in don't run from something, run to something. And so each of those moments for me has been like a very, in my opinion, like a powerful move of like, I'm intentionally doing this and here's what I believe that I'm going to, you know, benefit. From. That's awesome. Run not from, but to. Right. I love that. Something I keep learning again and again is blank. I continue to be surprised by the things that my kids teach me. Mm. Whether it's from, you know, learning from their nanny or show that they're watching. Like, they bring these really fascinating things to me about, like, black holes or some random insect that I've never heard of. So, I don't know. I just continue to be surprised by those little moments. I love it. Okay, last two questions. If I had unlimited creativity and support, I would blank. I would do a Super Bowl commercial. I think like every marketer secretly wants to have like a Super Bowl commercial spot, even if it doesn't always make sense for your business, which like, let's be honest, we're, we're not going to run a Super Bowl commercial. But like if I had endless money, support, creativity, I would definitely do that. You said, look at some of the brands who've done it really well that like you wouldn't expect like Windex mm -hmm. as an example. Mm -hmm. It's like an everyday just, you know, necessity, right? For cleaning your house. I have cried in a Windex commercial. Like, I want that moment. <laughs> That's all. I love that you said Super Bowl because in, in another brand that we've actually had on had on one of the other shows, Avocados from Mexico, they've just, they did like several years of Super Bowl commercials and they talk about a moonshot of like, yeah. they had to pull together. They didn't have a ton of money. They made it happen and it was huge for their brand. And yep. so I'm bullish on the Super Bowl commercial. I like that. Okay, last question. What do you love and appreciate about yourself? I love and appreciate that I feel like I'm never done growing and learning. And there's always something out there that, or someone I can learn from. So yeah, I would say I love that about myself is that I'm just really honest that I'm never done. I love that. I pick, I, I pick up on that from you. And I think that's also related to why you will continue to be a very successful marketing leader. Um, we'll be paying attention to Rev. I know our brand will, and the people who listen into this will be tuning in more but Adri, thanks so much for being on the show. This was such an awesome experience for me, having you in the studio. You blessed our space, so thanks for being here. Awesome, thank you, it was a lot of fun. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies 
to create unforgettable brand experiences so you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.